Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of the five days of Tech Hanukkah. Steve and I have recorded five episodes at IMTS. We just want to share a little of the holiday spirit by replaying these episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trans podcast. I am Benjamin Moses, the director of Pizza, and I'm here with uh, Stephen Lamarca, AMT's technology analyst. I'm not allowed to talk about pizza anymore. <laughs> Steve, before we move on to some uh, technology, Rally Car. Yes. Before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to Jacob. An amazing wrap design on the Rally Fighter. Jacob did do an incredible job. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, I did. I did pick his brain a little bit before the show. Apparently, he got some of the inspiration, some, not entirely inspired by, but some of the inspiration of the Rally Fighters rep for 2022 is based off of the Castrol Toms Supra from Super GT Racing in Japan of the right. 90s. Like, like Japan's version of NASCAR that where they actually know how to turn left. <laughs> yeah, that Supra from the 90s uh, had a little bit of uh, the livery, the, the sure. red and green over a white background had a little bit of the inspiration for the rally fighter but um yeah we did an entire episode of getting the rally fighter parked over to where it was yep it was um adventurous to say the <laughs> least so i came in friday uh of last week and i got the text when i landed from bonnie that hey could you go to ges the total opposite direction of where I'm supposed to go. Could you go to GES to pick up the Rally Fighter and uh, drive it to McCormick Place, yep. get it parked for us? And I'm like, no problem. No, I'm not gonna. No. So I get my get in my lift. They take me to GES. I, you know, go up the the ramp into this massive warehouse. The Rally Fighter's just sitting there. Nobody's around. So I kind of just stole it. Uh, but they <laughs> left the keys in the ignition for right. me and. Uh, I was getting reacquainted with it. I forget, I forgot that when you're sitting in the driver's seat, uh, the engine is so far back in the car because it is a front mid-mounted uh, engine, uh, meaning the engine is mounted behind the front axle, still in front of the, uh, the passenger cabin, but behind the front axle that the engine's actually inter intruding into the, cap the interior space. So your legs, when you normally think in, in driving in a normal car, they're pointed forward. They're actually tilted a little bit to the left. So you're, you're, you're driving like this as you're driving. You're, you're, you're faced like this as you're driving that way. It's not that extreme. Sure. But what I tell you all that? You're moving around. You have to. Oh, yeah. Got back, got reacquainted with it. And the pedal spacing's weird. And I drive a stick back yep. at home. So... Um, it, got, it gets a lot of attention. So I'm driving down the highway. I forget which highway it is, but I'm driving down the highway towards Chicago and there's a lot of people like sticking their heads out the, their car's windows with their phones trying to record it. It's getting a lot of publicity. I, for, I neglected to mention that when I got to the rally, when I picked up the rally fighter, I put on an American flag headband and my pit viper sunglasses. So just huge 90s obnoxious callback. Uh, and anyway, this one guy is recording me from his Ford Explorer and he's like leaning out the window looking at it and I see an overpass come, ahead, come up ahead and I see this overpass and I think, okay, 
it's going to be great acoustics. Let me, I'm going to drop it into neutral when I go uh, go under there real quick and just give it some rev bombs, <laughs> and, it'll, and it'll just echo through that. It'll be really loud, and this guy will get back in his car because I'm going <laughs> to blow his eardrums out. So do that. Overpass comes. Pop it into neutral, and then stomp on the clutch, totally forgetting that it's an automatic. I hit the brakes. Rally Fighter's got amazing brakes, but... <laughs> That's one way to find out how good the brakes are. Yeah, don't tell... And uh, show off. <laughs> don't tell anybody, but uh, I almost totaled the Rally Fighter That's the That's a fun time, Steve. I appreciate that. I appreciate you telling us or sharing with the audience how bad of a driver you are, considering how good of a driver you want to be. Yeah, pretty uh, much. So for activities, you know, I've been keeping it kind of laid, down, laid back this week. So the only interesting thing I've been doing is trying to experiment with hotel food. Hotel food? Hotel food. I just had uh, dinner at the hotel last night. You stayed in? Yeah, why not? Nerd. I got work to do. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I guess somebody's got to do it. Can, did, can you find a place with uh, uh, lobster poutine? You're right. Okay. I'm not, don't sleep on the Marriott Marquis, though. <laughs> and uh, espresso martini with some lobster poutine. What else are you going to do? With Koval coffee liqueur. Absolutely. That's right. So uh, the, the first article I want to talk about is back to racing, actually. Um, 3D printing with McLaren Racing. Yes. Now, I wouldn't say 3D printing is putting McLaren over the edge because they're not doing that well, but they're doing some really interesting things. And I like the use cases that talk, they talk about in this article. Um, so everyone's familiar with 3D printing for tooling, uh, but they also get into um, development parts. Uh, they're using a lot of stereolithography, and they're printing parts for uh, wind chamber testing. Yeah. Uh, now, in the wind chamber uh, testing, they're using a lot of resin. Right. Um, and then they also talk about, they're printing about 9,000 parts per year annually, which is a fair amount for a Formula One car. That's Im that is impressive. Yep. But uh, go on. And, and I, I really like how it's getting more and more embedded in their process and in their culture. So it's, they are using it for tooling. They are using it for low volume parts. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's quite made it onto the car itself. How, how did they use it recently in Adam? Because I know this article. Uh, so they mainly talk about the wind tunnel testing. Right. So they're about six months behind from Ferrari because right. about half a year ago, I put into the tech report and even in the podcast yep. that Ferrari was using 3D printing added right. manufacturing for wind tunnel testing. And they used additive manufacturing for the most basic, but not basic, the most primal instinct you can have when it comes to making something new. Yeah. They made a bracket. <laughs> Fair. They, they did the, McLaren did the same thing Ferrari did and they, 3D printed brackets right. to hold thermistors, thermometers, sure. and, and any kind of other sensor they would need to make sure that their uh, their, their aerodynamics was on point. Yep. I do remember a, a test case back in my previous company where we were sending a part, a cast part, to get uh, weld repaired through an EB weld house, um, but we didn't have the casting in time. We wanted to verify tooling, we wanted to verify uh, the tool path uh, within the EB machine. Uh, so we actually printed a representation out of plastic of the cast, what the casting would be. So we're able to ship that up and uh, put that in there tooling to make sure everything worked, all the um, tool paths were correct. So I find it, uh, it's an uh, undiscovered use for additive uh, 3D printing mainly uh, for uh, ver test uh, verification and development testing too. Right. You've got an article on weld repair for additive uh, from Optinet. Optimic, yes. Okay, so 
this is really exciting because we're getting to see this at IMTS now. Um, so a while back, I want to say three months ago, I'm yeah. really bad with time, but earlier this year, Optimec got awarded, I believe, $1.5 million from the Department of Defense to look into how to repair uh, titanium blisks, bladed discs, to be used in the F-35's jet engine. Um, oh, by the way, each one of each bladed disc that goes into an F-35, each blisk, is uh, costs apparently five hundred thousand dollars. So this one point five million dollar award officially bought three bladed discs. <laughs> um, anyway, fast forward to earlier this week, maybe a week ago, but actually this week at IMTS. Um, Optimic has on display the entire manufacturing cell that was designed to repair said blisks. That's awesome. So if you want if you if you read the initial article and if you read last week's article um, and you actually want to see this 3D printing repair cell in the flesh, it's here in uh, the West building. Yep. This quick side note, my favorite thing about Optimic and every other machine tool company should be ashamed of themselves for not doing this, but Optimec from the factory labels all their axes. <laughs> so you can, you can look in, uh, dude, it's spicy, I'm gonna get in trouble for it. But you can look, open up the enclosure and actually look in the machine, all of the axes are clearly labeled. So you know which one's X, Y, Z, and A and B. A and B, just throw a sticker in there, give me yes. something. I mean, it doesn't, you know, a label maker costs a lot less than a, uh, you know, a super expensive machine tool, but it's, it's just a night. It's the little things. And I do like how the F-35 is actually getting a lot of work. I just saw a engine revamp on for the F-35 where they're pushing the boundaries to get uh, a faster speed and right. more efficiency out of it. And they're actually harvesting a lot of additive parts also to reduce the weight. So, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for, um, repair for additive also uh, for aerospace in general, but because uh, yeah. the cost of the parts are so expensive. So right. there's definitely a lot of opportunity there. Um, I've got an article on Honeywell. They okay. just, uh, they're doing some interesting things and in talking about skills gap. So um, workforce has been a, a issue about uh, hiring workers and maintaining staff and uh, skills development. Uh, so automation gets you pretty far by itself um, okay. in those scenarios. Um, but in the end, you're still going to have to look at uh, future workforce, right? You're going to have to bring in new people, uh, worry about their skills, how do you onboard them. Uh, so they talk about some interesting tools to help with that steep learning curve when you're brought into manufacturing. Um, and we, yesterday we talked about, you know, our differences when we left, uh, you know, uh, school and getting into the workforce. Uh, and it's, there's a fairly steep learning curve when you introduce with a whole slurry of new tools, new processes. Um, new environment. Um, so they talk about two scenarios, uh, well, a bunch of scenarios, but I harvested two. One is a remote assist. Um, if you have a set of AR goggles, even AR applications. Yeah. Being able to scale your um, experienced employees over several um, uh, new employees. So you're providing the mentoring coaching uh, on the spot and as needed. So I thought the idea of remote assist of improving the quality of training and the responsiveness of training, uh, specifically mentorship, um, to provide uh, as needed. And I thought that was a fantastic scenario for that a lot of um, manufacturers capitalize on. 
Um, also, and this is fairly straightforward, and it's probably underrated, but being able to capture data digitally, so quality data and machine monitoring, those type of scenarios where you're not relying on the operator to worry about, did I write these numbers down correctly, and transferring it somewhere else, Yeah, that's fairly underrated. It is, it is. And it's, it's it, like I said, going back to labeling your axes. It, <laughs> it's little features like that that, yep. that uh, you know, let's get some sales guys over here. <laughs> Stuff like that that would help sell a machine, I would think. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, you've got something on your favorite to topic, IEMs. Yes, yes. I am a bit of an audiophile, and I brought this old article up. This is nothing new. Um, I was right before this, our podcast, I was at, in the West Building at the AM4U stage, um, on stage with uh, Dayton Horvath, yep. AMT's Director of Emerging Technologies and Investments, and Nina Anderson, AMT's yep. Data Scientist. Um, we were talking about, the three of us have meetings virtually every day that started back in December of last year, uh, a meeting every day about, you know, that day's additive news, right. and our little half hour bit was what was our most exciting news uh, articles of the year. And I mentioned two of them in the West Building, but I left one in case we didn't go long enough. Yeah. And I'd like to mention it here. Sennheiser, back in March, Sennheiser announced that it was producing the IE600 IEM in-ear monitor, which is a fancy multi-hundred dollar uh, earbud that is designed for professional use, but, well, it's designed for professional use, but audiophiles and snobs like to, you know, spend too much money on that stuff for the best sound possible. Um, but it was really cool. They announced this because the IE600 yep. was produced, mass produced, mind you, well, as mass produced as a $700 headphone can be um, with metal additive. Uh, fast forward to today, is this, you know, still a big deal? I say no, <laughs> because I actually read some of the reviews on these yep. headphones, and while they're great, they are exactly the same. And maybe this is a good thing, but they are exactly the same as the previous outgoing IE600 that was uh, the housings, instead of being additively manufactured with metal, they were 3D printed, and, and yep. or not 3D printed, they were milled um, with, you know, precision CNC machines. Steve, uh, as uh, as one challenge I would offer the uh, visitors today, as yeah. they see you on the on the floor, definitely get your hot take on IEMs in general, and the recent uh, advances that you you've been experimenting with. Talk to any random person about IEMs. No, I want them to talk to you about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> talk to me about IEMs. Let's let's chat about IEMs. Let's go. To, I'll take you to dinner. Where can they find more info about us? You can find more information about Ben and I in person by finding us at IMTS 2022 and at amtonline.org resources. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Ben. Bye, everyone. Director of pizza. <laughs> I am delicious. <laughs>